also like May is such a season of transition. And this weekend also always marks for me kind of the end of the school year, the beginning of summer. Uh, I loved one of my favorite pictures was uh, a, a little girl here, in the, well, she's not a little girl anymore, but anyway, here in the church. And her mom had posted her first day of school picture. You know, she was going into kindergarten, and it was in there, you know, you could see the front door and everything. And she is now finishing up fifth grade, getting ready to head into middle school. And so there was a picture with her standing in the exact same place. And oh my gosh, that picture to me just said so much about just how much she had grown but in so many ways. And as I thought about this little girl and I thought about her transitioning into middle school, I wondered what is she feeling? What is she thinking? Uh, is she excited? Is she hopeful? Is she scared? Um, one of our graduating seniors here at, at Martha Bowman is getting ready to head off to college in the fall. And I bumped into her in the hall the other day and I said, so, you know, what's next? And she was telling me about what's next. And I said, well, how are you feeling? And she said, well, she said, I'm a little excited, but I'm a little scared too. It's kind of, I don't know what to expect. You know, here at, at Martha Bowman, we are in a season of transition ourselves. And, and Haynes and Tim have been kind of walking us through that process. But as Tim is transitioning to Kentucky uh, to, uh, to take care of his dad and to start a new ministry setting, uh, my husband is coming in. And so for me, I'm going to be honest with y'all, Mark and I are different. He is like the ultimate optimist. I mean, whatever's going to happen, he's like, that's going to be great. It's going to be wonderful. And, you know, my nature is... It's like, well, what could go wrong? I mean, I don't know what could go. <laughs> and as we've talked about him coming here, I mean, I know y'all are going to love him as much as I do, and many of you already know him. But I'm thinking, so what about the day when we're like getting on each other's nerves, you know? And we've got to come to church, and we've got to pretend like we're all happy and okay. And uh, and I thought, no, I think we're just going to be real. I think we're going to let you know. Yeah, he's getting on my nerves today, <laughs> or she's getting on my nerves. But yeah, we're going to be doing marriage and life in front of y'all, and uh, and we're not perfect. So you might kind of see our humanity. So there is, I think anytime there is something new on the horizon, my, my question for you and my question for me is, how do we face that? Do we face it with hopeful, confident expectation? Or do we face it with a little bit of dread and discouragement? Um, I love the, the picture that the Song of Solomon was written by King Solomon. And uh, at the very end of that book, he describes this woman. And we call her the Proverbs 31 woman, the virtuous woman. She's just almost perfect. Well, I think she is perfect. But, but one of the things that, that I like about his description of her, he says, you know, that she smiles at the future. She smiles at the future. And when I think about our, our students that are getting ready to head into college, when I think about us as a congregation um, getting ready to move into a new season of ministry, what might be going on in your own personal life during a time of transition? You know, it's my hope that we could smile at the future. It goes on in Proverbs, and he describes this woman, and it says that even though there's winter, even though there's snow, she is not afraid because her household is clothed in scarlet. So even though there's something on the horizon that could harm her family, she's confident, she's smiling, she is, her, her position, kind of her, her outlook is, I am smiling at the future. 
Now, I don't know about y'all. This is a beautiful, wonderful picture. And I hope and I wish that I could live every day of my life that way. And I wish that you could as well. But I also know the reality of what it feels like when our hope, that positive outlook for the future, our hope has been deferred. Um, Solomon goes on and he writes at another place in Proverbs, and he says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. And that's kind of what I want to talk about today is that whole idea of hope. And when hope is working for us and we are living biblically into that expectant hope, as we're going to be unpacking today, there is this optimism, this joy, this confidence that even in the midst of difficulty or whatever the challenges are, the unknown, it kind of gives us this, this buoyancy in life. But our hearts can also get sick. They can get discouraged. They can get depressed. They can get anxious. You know, I think about, and some of you might have had this experience where there's a challenge that's in front of you. Maybe it's you're getting ready to head off to college, and, and you're wondering, you know, am I smart enough to succeed? Am I going to be, a, you know, I want to major in this, but, but can I do it? Am I capable? And that, that dread and that fear can begin to kind of grip your heart. Um, I know I was talking to someone recently um, who was getting ready to take the bar exam, and, and she wasn't confident that she was ready to take it, that she would pass. And so as she was studying and preparing, there was also this, this anxious dread as she approached taking that exam. Um, it might be that there's a job change. There are so many things going on in our lives where our hearts can get kind of sick and discouraged and, and full of that fear. And it's almost like you just you, you don't have the energy to get up and take that next step. And that is kind of the characteristic of this sick heart, this heart that has gotten sick because of hope that has been deferred or lost. So what we're going to do today is I want us to dig down and I want us to look at what does biblical hope look like? What does that biblical hope look like? And I want to contrast it to just having an optimistic personality. And again, I'm, you know, I'm going to draw the contrast. I think Mark just, just he, he wakes up happy in the morning. You know, he really is an optimistic, cheerful person. I think that's just the way he was born. Um, that's not to say that, you know, when hard times come, I mean, he works through it. But, but by nature, he is a, the glass is half full. And that's great. But I think there is a quality to biblical hope that goes beyond our natural tendency, just kind of our natural temperament. And I want to talk about what, how, it, how it's not just wishful thinking. It's not just kind of this blind optimism that is not grounded in reality. And so that's what we're going to be doing today. And I want to invite you to open up your bulletins there. We've got this scripture because I think if we can really get a hold of this, this is going to be... Um, I mean, it's going to give us that tenacity. It's going to give us um, a strength. It's going to give us kind of that grip, that stick to it, to stick to itness, um, that is going to help us navigate life well. All right, so let's dig in. And in, in your bulletins, there, I've given you kind of that big, that big idea, and it's this. Um, well, the scripture from Hebrews: We have this hope as an anchor for the soul firm and secure. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. So we're just going to be unpacking this in the next several minutes together here. So first what I want us to do is I want us to look at the idea 
of an anchor. Let's unpack that. We're going to get to what this is pointing to in just a second, but I want to talk about what biblical hope does for us. So everybody can see this right here. What is this? It is an anchor. It's got a heavy chain, and this is, uh, there we go. <laughs> well, anyway, this is an anchor that I got out of our garage last night, and this is an anchor that we use um, in our boat. We've got a boat. We'd like to go out to Lake Tobo, uh, ski, uh, you know, hang out there, swim, all that kind of stuff. And so this is an anchor that we use. So let's think about what does an anchor do? What does an anchor do? Throw it out there. Y'all think about it. What does an anchor do? It holds you in place. It holds you in place. It keeps you from drifting. So sometimes, say, we're out there, we've been skiing, we've been tubing, and we want to take a break, um, and, we, and the kids just want to swim. They say, we just want to stop, we just want to swim, we want to rest here. If we turn the motor off, what happens? The boat is going to drift, and typically it drifts into shore. So what Mark will do is he'll just take this out, and we drop it, and it's got these cleats in it, and it keeps us, even though the current is going this way, the current, we don't move. We don't drift. So an anchor keeps you from drifting. The other thing that an anchor does is an anchor keeps you steady in a storm. Uh, when you look at these big tanker ships and, and these, big, these big ships that, that, that go in the ocean and everything, and when the storms come, they can drop anchors, and I, and I don't know all the technical terms, and so some of you that you know more about boats, I, I might be messing this up, but as I understand it, they drop these huge, huge anchors, and it keeps the boat from, from um, I know there's technical words for it, but basically getting swamped in the storm, uh, but basically it keeps it as, as, the, as the ocean is churning, it keeps that boat steady in the water. And so the writer of Hebrews here is giving us this beautiful picture, and he is saying hope, biblical hope, can be like an anchor for you. It can keep you from drifting, and it can keep you steady in the water. But then he goes on and he says, but this anchor, here's what it's for. Here is its purpose. Here is the benefit to you. It anchors your soul your soul. That Greek word there is, is psyche, and it's the idea of the seat of our emotions, that part of us, if we might call it our heart, we might call it our emotions, our soul, but it's that place where, where optimism and joy and peace reside. It's also the place where fear and discouragement and, and just that, that despondency, that place where I, I, I feel dread, I feel dread. That is kind of the place, your psyche is where those emotions reside. And so what the writer of Hebrews is saying right here is saying true biblical hope, it is going to be like an anchor, and it is going to anchor that part of you, that soul part of you, that place that can get sick or that place that can smile at the future, and it is going to anchor you firm and secure. Now, the book of Hebrews, it's found in the New Testament, and, and why this was so important, and we don't know who wrote it. Some think Paul wrote the book. Others, uh, you know, would question that. But, but here's, the, here's what was going on that we know. 
These were Jewish, Jewish people who had now become Christians, and they were being persecuted. In Hebrews, we find out that they were, they were suffering greatly, that their property was being seized illegally, that they were being persecuted in public places, maybe the arena. We know that from history, that theirs was a great struggle. And what was happening to them is that because of the, the persecution, because of the oppression, the great fear or the great danger for them, that there were two. One is that they would completely fall away from their faith, that they would return back to Judaism. And the other was that they would simply drift away and not be ready to kind of be there at the tip of the spear, being, being you know, faithful to their faith, to saying, yes, I believe in Jesus, and, and to kind of being those faithful witnesses because it had gotten hard and it had gotten tough at a level that we can't even fathom here in the United States because of the freedoms that we experience. And so Paul was, um, well, they think Paul, we don't know, but he's writing and he says, this, this biblical hope, it is going to be an anchor. It's going to hold you fast. It's going to hold your soul fast. And it's going to be firm. And it's going to be secure. Now, if you've got your pens, what I want you to do is take out your bulletin there. And you see the word this. I want you to circle it because this is a really important, important word right here. Because he's writing and he says, we have this hope as an anchor to our soul. So what is he talking about? What is this hope? How does this hope differentiate between optimism, wishful thinking, just having a great attitude and going, Pollyanna, it's all going to work out. I'm not going to worry about things. You know, why do you worry? No, he said, there's something that is unique and different about true biblical hope that really, truly anchors your soul. So, if you had your Bibles here, you can open up, and if not, we're going to put the scriptures up here. I want to go back, and I want us to say, what is he talking about when he says this? So in Hebrews 6.13, this is what he's talking about. He says, when God made his promise to Abraham. Now, what was the promise? He's, he's looking back to the Old Testament. Abraham was one of the patriarchs, and God made a promise to Abraham that he would have a child, and this child would be the heir to the promise, and that this child would grow up, and this heir would be a blessing to all the nations. And so when the promise was made to Abraham, Abraham and his wife were beyond the childbearing years. It should have been completely impossible. It was an impossible promise. And he says, and when God made this promise to Abraham, he said, there is no one, there, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself. And he said, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. This was his promise to a man and a woman that were beyond the age of being able to bear children. They had no children at this time. And so, after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. As you look in the Old Testament, you see that Isaac was born. Isaac became uh, the, the Abraham, Isaac, Jacob became the father, I guess, of the, of the Hebrew nation, what became the Israelites. And so he's saying, yes, he received what was promised. In verse 16, uh, the author says, People swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument, because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, and he confirmed it with an oath. 
God did this God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. And so it's a kind of wordy statement there, a lot of words, but here's what he said. He said there are two things that are unchangeable. One is God's word, God's character. If he says something, you can believe it, you can trust it, and that God has sworn this oath. And so what he's saying is, in the midst, Abraham, you know, Abraham, you had a word from God Almighty that you are going to have a son, and this son is going to be a blessing and the heir of all the promises of God, and many are going to be blessed through your family. So that was a promise specific to Abraham, specific to that time. And he was saying that God, his character is such that he is not going to lie. He can't lie, and he is going to be faithful to do what he has promised. And he said those two things together were the anchor for Abraham's soul that when it took year after year after year after year, and there was no child of promise. He said this is the anchor. And then he says in verse 19, which is where we are, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. And then he goes on to say, it enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. Now, what is he talking about there? Because I think this is critical. And this is what differentiates biblical hope from optimism, wishful thinking, having your hope placed in something, in the wrong thing. But he said, what, you, what I want you to hear, what I want you to do, is I want you to place your hope in Jesus. I want you to place your hope in Jesus. And specifically in this, Jesus is now your high priest. Jesus went behind the veil for you. And what he was doing, he was referencing back to the old covenant, the pattern for worship. Because back in the Old Testament, back into that old covenant, you and I, had we lived back then, we couldn't enter into the Holy of Holies. That was the place where God's presence resided. Why could we not do that? Because we were unclean. We were sinners. And so what the priest did back in the Old Covenant was he sacrificed the animals, the lambs, whatever. He sprinkled it clean. And only these priests could go behind the veil into the Holy of Holies, into the presence of God, to make intercession on behalf of the people. And what the writer of Hebrews is saying is that because of Jesus' death, because of his resurrection, he has now gone behind the veil. The veil has been rent, and he is our forerunner. A forerunner is someone who goes before you, but you are following behind. He has gone before you into the presence of God. And he is saying, this is your anchor. This is your hope that God is unchangeable. God's promises are true. There is nothing, nothing that can separate you from the love of God. You can run into his presence and let his presence be the anchor to your soul. There's another person who writes about hope but from a, a, a little bit of a different perspective. And again, we don't know who this author is, but his story is found in the book of Lamentations. Now, Lamentations, it's found in the Old Testament, and it's found in a very particular time in Israel's history. What had happened was there had been the kings, good kings, bad kings. We've talked about this before. 
And, and there came a point when Israel had wandered so far away from God that God said, I am going to have to discipline my, my bride, my child, my, my city that I love, my nation that I love. And they were taken off into captivity, into ba Babylon, came and took them off. And the city of Jerusalem was completely ransacked. Um, just horrific, horrific things. Things that if you can imagine during a time of war, I mean, we've seen pictures in Syria of just the devastation. So think, think complete, utter destruction. And, but we think that Jeremiah probably wrote Lamentations. It might have been more. But Lamentations, it is basically like um, a song to sing at a funeral where he is crying out and talking about how heartbroken he is about the destruction of, of God's people in the city of Jerusalem. And he writes here, and this is kind of to me, I thought very profound, but the author says, he said, my eyes are spent with weeping. This is a this is a description of that 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 heart that that is that has no hope. He says, "My eyes are spent." He said, "I have cried and I have cried and I have cried and I, I don't have any more tears to cry. I have cried out. My I have spent with crying." He said, "My stomach churns." Do you know that feeling where there's just that your your stomach is just it's, a, it's not even in knots, but there's that grief in the pit of your stomach, that despair. He said, my stomach churns. And then he says, my bile is poured out on the ground. You know what bile is? Bile is that, that yellow yuck that's in the pit that's in your stomach when you have thrown up and there's nothing left but that yellow bile. He said, he said in fact, my, my grief and my anguish is such that, that, that I, I have thrown up. I remember one time something happened to me, and I was very uh, worried. I, just, I, I won't give you all the details, but I remember it just kind of, I just, I wanted to throw up because of the news that I had heard. And I don't know if you've ever had that, but I, I can somewhat relate. He said, my bile is poured out onto the ground because of the destruction of the daughter of my people. He's looking at this devastation, and he says, I just, you know, I'm, I am in grief here. And then he writes a little bit long, a little bit further. And I think this is critical. He says, my endurance has perished. He said, I don't even have the strength to endure. I don't have the strength to get up in the morning and put one foot in front of the other. I don't have the strength to study for, you know, that bar exam one more time because I failed. I don't have the strength to put one more ounce of energy into this relationship because I've lost hope. I don't have the strength. He says, I don't have the strength. And he said, and so has my hope from the Lord. I don't even have any hope that God is going to get us out of this. My hope from the Lord has perished. I think this is just this picture where he is living into what, what, what Proverbs was talking about, that hope deferred makes the heart sick. Now we begin to see, though, the author changes. He, he takes a, a turn, and he says, Verse 21, but this, but this I call to mind. Here he is just, just in anguish, and he says, but this. This is like that saying, you know, but, but what is this hope? He says, but this I call to mind. And it's the echo, you can just hear it. He says, this is what I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. He says, the steadfast love of the Lord 
never ceases. He remembers that God's love is steadfast. It is never changing, and there is no end to it. So whatever you're facing today, as you look to the future, whatever that circumstance is, that circumstance might get better, it might not. But here's what the anchor of your soul is, can rest in, to keep you from drifting and to keep you from falling away, that God's steadfast love never, ever ceases. He says that his mercies never come to an end. The open doors, the opportunities, the possibilities, God's mercies never end for you. He says that they, talking about God's mercies, are new every single morning. It's that tenacity to get up in the morning and, 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 you know, whatever it is that's before you, to say, God, what is it that I need to do today? Would you help me? Would you give me wisdom? Would you show me? But it is that tenacity to say, you know, here is the future that I'm trying to get to, that I feel God is trying to take me, my family. Lord, let your mercy be new to me this morning, where I feel that the road is blocked. I don't know the way forward. I trust that you will lead me forward. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness to me, God. You'll never leave me. You'll never forsake me. Great is your faithfulness. Therefore, the Lord is my portion, says my soul, and therefore I will hope in him. The Lord is the portion. He is the portion for my soul. Therefore, I will have hope. And I think my question for you and my question for me is we think about hope. What is it that you place your hope in? Because if it's in anything but Jesus, you're going to get knocked around the waves, the highs, the lows of life. But biblical faith, that hope in God's goodness, God's faithfulness, God's mercies, his unchangeable love, that's what kind of anchors you down and gives you, you know, to me, wistful thinking is very passive. It's like, well, I hope something good's going to happen today. Oh, I hope I'm going to get out of debt. Oh, I hope. But you're not actively doing anything. Biblical hope is an active hope. It's an active hope of moving towards the goal of what you feel like God's calling you to do, knowing that, that you know, God is going to provide a way. And, and if you fail, then you're going to get back up and you're going to try again. If you, if you screw up and you mess up, it's like, hey, I, I didn't do that right, but I can do it again. It's that tenacity that kind of, you know, Paul talks about he presses towards the goal. It's, a, it's an active, it is, a, it is a mindset. There's a guy who does research, um, and he's actually done it about hope. And he said hope, and he, and he wasn't talking about biblical hope, but he, was, uh, he had looked at people who had that, that optimism that, you know, they had reached their goals, and, and he defined it as hope. But he said it's actually, it's a way of thinking and the behaviors that people do that create that feeling of optimism and that smiling at the future, so to speak. He said, but it's that idea that we can reach our, we, we can make that forward progress and, and we can get up every morning and we can do it again and do it again. And now, of course, he, was a, he didn't include God in his research, but how much more for us to know that God holds our future in his hands and his mercies are new every single day. You know, it's my hope for you and it's my hope for me that we will smile at the future just like the Proverbs 31 woman did. 
and we will hold on to this anchor. And, and kind of the big idea, like if you don't remember anything else today, if you don't remember anything else, this is what I hope that you'll remember, is that God's steadfast love and his faithfulness is the anchor for my soul as I look to the future. It's my hope that every single person in here has made Jesus your anchor, that you have accepted his free gift of salvation, that you have said, yes, Jesus, you are my Lord, my sins are forgiven, and through your blood and your atoning gift, I can enter into the holy place, and I can know God. I can know God. There's no barrier, and that is that anchor that, that goes behind the veil. That is my hope. And if that's not something that you've done today, you know, I hope that today will be that day. If that's something that you have drifted away from, if you feel the storms of life have just kind of, you've let go of that anchor. Because here's the great thing about an anchor. It is, it's attached to two things, isn't it? It's attached to the boat, Jesus, and it's attached to, to um, right, did I did that wrong? <laughs> I'm sorry, it's attached to the boat. I'm the boat. And it, and it is attached to something secure in the ocean floor or the seabed there. And that's, that's how we're attached to Jesus, behind the veil. We can't see that anchor on the bottom of the, of the water there in the lake, but it's, it's attached. And we can't always see Jesus with our natural eyes, but he is behind the veil. We are anchored to him. Let's pray.